being an indigenous, 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 indigenous. Okay. Yeah, that was golden. I love I it. I like simplicity and I like it to be very couples clean. All acted very simple. The matching couples. Oh my lord, I hate the matching couples. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm attracted to normal looking women. Right, but that's not accurate. You have weird taste. Those are all things that most of us could really improve on. It's gonna, it's gonna vary wildly if anyone listens at all. That's what I call interesting. No real substance? That's super interesting. Fascinating almost. Welcome to While We're on the Subject, where we talk about what we talk about. Now, here's the show. Hi, Mike. Hey, John. So, what's on your mind today? A lot of stuff, actually. Yeah. Not surprising. Yeah, right? I wanted to check back in because I know on one of our earliest episodes, we talked about my time tracking at length and my use of the app toggle. Mm-hmm. And we said I would check in later. Uh, and obviously, we took the hiatus over last summer, and so we didn't record a lot of those episodes, so that got pushed to the back burner. But now, in the new year, I thought it might be useful to just update people on what I'm doing with that whole thing. Yes. Tell us about your progress. So, essentially, I, I'm still doing it. I still track all of my time every day. And... I have reorganized it a little bit because back then my tracking was largely focused on tasks. So I would track if I was watching TV or I would track if I was sleeping or right. some walking or something, right? Yes. And I still do that to a certain extent. But now a lot of my time or a lot of my... Focus? Yeah, a lot of my focus. I've, I've rethought... The value of it, because I've used it in my like quarterly reviews a lot in the last mm-hmm. year, the last nine months. And it has led me to focusing much more on projects. So like this okay. project that we're working on, I have organized it together. And anything that's not part of a project, for the most part, I kind of toss off to a, the side. I still track it. I still mark down what it was, but okay. I'm not focused on organizing that stuff because that stuff is not stuff that I'm super concerned with measuring. You know what I mean? Okay. Like I paid more attention to the metrics that I want to measure. And right. yeah. Okay. And so give us the progress. What did you learn? What are you doing well? What are you wasting too much time on? So I've found the distribution of my time is quite different than I kind of anticipated, I guess. Uh, So one, it changed a lot and was very difficult to manage while I was traveling and while I was moving around because it's easier to do if you have a set schedule, Mm -hmm. obviously. And one of the issues that I didn't anticipate, but seems kind of obvious in retrospect, is the impact of time zones. So I moved from China and then I went to Latin America for a while and then I went to North America for a while. And then I came to Europe. And those are very different times of the day, I guess. They, they, they are time shifted considerably, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're tracking 24 hours a day, you have this sudden moment where your time shifts eight hours and you lose eight hours or you gain eight hours that didn't actually exist. Right. And where it matters, like that, that doesn't matter too much. You just skip eight hours. That's fine. But where it does matter is when you're doing a review and suddenly all of your times for everything and all of your dates for everything is shifted somewhat for the older time. Right. It just makes it difficult. So 
with regards to Ireland hmm. and being in one place now and, you know, having built a schedule that you've grown accustomed to. Yeah. How's the time tracking now? It's good. I really like it. And it, what I really like about it, and I know a lot of people won't necessarily think this sounds like a good thing, but it keeps you paying attention to what you're doing and it keeps you mindful of how you're spending your time in the moment and after the fact. And I like it because it shows me where I waste my time. When I see something like recording this podcast or editing this podcast and I say, oh, well, that takes me however long, a few hours. And then I look at how much time I wasted on a given day just sitting around or cleaning up the house. I know cleaning the house is not necessarily wasted time, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So if you just keep the house clean all the time and you don't waste time on it, then, you know, it's it's a better situation. So has it changed how you do things now? Yes. Yes, like, I think it has. What are things that you didn't realize were time wasters? And, and now after, you know, tracking your time, trying to shift your focus to these projects is there anything mm. that you notice were wasting time that you didn't necessarily think were time wasting activities well here in ireland i was already doing it for a while i was already doing it for like six months when i arrived here so i was already pretty or maybe three months when i arrived here i don't know i was doing it for a while when i got here so i was already pretty focused on that when i was building my schedule here but i will say that I spent more time kind of not focused consuming things than I had realized. So mm -hmm. I was spending more time like looking things up on YouTube or looking things up for articles to answer questions. Like I noticed that he gets all this information from YouTube. <laughs> like uh, following down rabbit holes and things on the right. internet. I didn't think took very up very much of my time. Well, I didn't think I did it very often, and I didn't think it took very much time. But it takes, in aggregate, a considerable amount of time, much more than I had anticipated. And I do it more often than I had thought. So I've been yeah. much more cognizant of that. You definitely can't underestimate how easy it is to get absorbed by the internet. These are things that I need to be doing because I need to solve an issue or answer a a question or whatever it is mm -hmm. but it's the kind of thing that you can do well or you can do poorly and what i found is that previously my focus was kind of scattered when i would do that right right and so i would kind of wander here wander there and i didn't have as much of a focus on exactly what i was trying to finish and accomplish and then move on and it's an easy kind of thing that even if you find the right answer or solve the problem that you're trying to solve, you'll still have some other things that you're kind of wandering around and looking at and reading. And uh -huh. that is where you waste all of your time. Because what I've shifted myself to doing is writing down notes of things that I need to do. And then when I actually go online to search through these things, to look up these things, to solve these problems, uh -huh. I have a list and quickly go through and try to solve a bunch of problems right in a group and then move on to something else. And I know exactly what I'm supposed to move on to after that. And so it, it keeps me focused and it keeps me directed and keeps me from kind of wandering off through a meadow. So, wow. yeah. Very good. Yeah. And so. it's been useful with this whole project that we've, we're working on because it allows me to 
see where I'm spending my time. And I spend a lot more time in editing than I had anticipated. And mm -hmm. that was part of a learning process, part of figuring the whole thing out. But as I go and I see that, I can push myself toward shifting where my focus is and putting more time on other areas. Because you can start to see where the value is coming from and right. where you're improving. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a useful thing for me. Okay, right on. So yeah. time tracking isn't pointless. There are benefits to it. <laughs> well, at least for me. I think for yeah. some people, it would be less useful. A few episodes ago, I offhandedly said something about how Haiti might play soccer because it's cheap, but that doesn't apply to Sweden. And I just wanted to note that when we recorded that, that was before Trump's whole Haiti-Norway debacle. And it was simply a statement that Sweden has a lot of money and yeah. that Haiti doesn't have a lot of money. I was not thinking about it in the context of anything beyond some countries have money and some countries don't have money and yeah. the average income. And once I heard the whole Trump-Haiti situation, it immediately had too much of a parallel and too much resonance yeah. and it made me slightly uncomfortable. So I just wanted to mention it. It was pretty funny. We had a conversation between recordings about it. And John was just like, I should definitely bring this up. I need to bring it up. I don't want people to have the wrong idea. Yeah. So he's just trying to make it clear. He doesn't care if you're poor or rich. Well, and I thought for a while about whether or not to cut it out, but I decided leave it in and just mention it. Because <laughs> we believe that honesty is an okay policy. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to say. Oh, well, no, it's not. Sweden has money, so they have more options in terms of where they spend their money. But sure. it just came out perhaps in a light that many people would take poorly. So I thought it'd be fun to find the best and worst three things about anything we could find and share our opinions on it. Yeah, a lot of people in my life give me a lot of crap all the time for ranking things and always asking, well, what are your top five or what are your top three? And I think that's a conversation that me and John have had about so many things. Yeah, we have that it's conversation all the time. Arbitrary ranking system, but it's fun and I think we enjoy it a lot. Well, and I, yeah, I, I think it's useful to actually put things in order in your mind, you know? Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true. So what did you want to start out with ranking? All right. So I was thinking that we could talk about who we think the top three presidents of the United States were, are. Were. Most were. of them are. I mean. <laughs> not still around, yeah. You know. If you think they're the top three, you still think they're the top three. Right? Okay. So you want to start out at the bottom, at the top? You want to start out with yours, mine? How about we start, because mine aren't in any particular order. Okay. So I was thinking you could start with one, then I'd start with one, and we'd just work our way to the top. Okay. So I'm going to start with maybe an obvious one. All right. But I'm going to start it out with, mine aren't in any particular order either, but I'm going to start with one that I've always underrated, and that throughout my life I thought was kind of over-talked and over-glamorized, and I've always kind of poo-pooed, but I've gained new appreciation over the last two or three okay. years and that is george washington all right okay so i dig it 
I get that he was important and all that. I've always understood that he was important. But I thought that the mythology that was built around him mm-hmm. within American culture was a bit overbearing or a bit too much, considering when I thought about his actual accomplishments as president right. and everything else. Like, as a general, sure, you could say maybe he got us independence, even though he wasn't particularly successful no, on the battlefield very, as general. Yeah. But as president, it was like he just kind of hung out. You know what I mean? Like he didn't do a ton. So I always undervalued him. But I think after reading a few books about other founding fathers and trying to understand it a little bit more, I think the fact that everyone respected him so much in his time Mm -hmm. and the fact that he was able to take power, manage an unwieldy system that was new and relinquish that power, I think Mm -hmm. that's... That's an impressive thing, especially when he had no predecessor, no example anywhere in the world for how to do this. The reason why I think of that as so important and understand how important and valuable that was now more than I used to is because I looked around over the last couple of years at so many countries and learned so much more about the history of a lot of countries. And you see that very consistently In the first 10 to 20 years of a new democracy, Mm -hmm. countries will abort their democracies and they'll just get taken off the rails. And that's a very common thing. And the United States is one of the few countries that decided to be a democracy, established itself as democracy, and held to it in a stable, consistent manner. It's actually one of my favorite things about George Washington. Mm. Because from what I've read about him, the way historians have described him was someone who was like very self-conscious considering some of the people he surrounded himself with okay thomas jefferson yeah. alexander hamilton james yeah, Madison, like like very intelligent some people yeah yeah and so i guess he deferred to them for a lot of stuff and i find it fascinating that despite the self-consciousness of his own intelligence he had a <laughs> lot of foresight in that regard where i think he knew that he had to be an example and made himself one. He probably encouraged a lot of the mythology that was built around him. The mythology is a natural thing that a country will build up. Right. But like, I don't think he was ever like, hey, guys, maybe don't talk about that. Or, you know, I'm not that great. He probably was like, yes, you should definitely give people a character, someone who seems better than they are. So I think he knew that he had to be an example. And I think in his time, even with all the admiration and stories that were probably told about him, he probably encouraged them to put himself up higher on the pedestal. So when he was able to set this example, it had a lot more uh, oomph. Okay. I think I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It it carried a lot more weight when he did what he did. Because he's been built up in everyone's eyes. Right. Hmm. And I mean, you could even just look at history most presidents only had two terms because he only had two terms. Well, I mean, he was the archetype, right? Like he was the first person. So he established right. some of the norms. And I mean, this is something that I, I really would like to get into much more at length at another mm-hmm. time. But like the norms in a society and with everything we've seen over the last few years, like you definitely see the power and impact of norms. And I that's another thing that I undervalued. And this is why him coming in at the beginning and establishing so many things that would help to shape what the country became was important. 
Um, and, and the fact that he passed over power peacefully, that he followed this system that he established, like that is a, an important thing when he didn't necessarily have to do that. And it's not necessarily the obvious choice for him to do that, especially when you consider what his successor did and all of the controversies around the Alien Sedition Acts and all of the controversies around him trying to suppress political opposition, the fact that Washington was able to exist for his whole time without cracking down on anybody, when that was the only thing you could see coming out of Europe, like that's what they did, mm -hmm. was an impressive thing, I think. But who's your first person? So my list, when I was thinking it up, I was focusing more on presidents that I think were pretty good presidents, but mm. people don't necessarily They're undervalued. admire. Yes. Okay. And so my first one is Richard Nixon. I know that's <laughs> that's a weird. I, uh, he had a very he had a very ugly ending. I know. That's true. And it's fair. That's that is a fair criticism. All mm -hmm. the criticism he gets, he totally deserves. But I also think he did a lot for the country. That was really positive. Like what? So he established the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, right? True. Which yeah. has improved the quality of life for all of us and has prevented a lot of the environment from being destroyed. Sure, yeah. Or at least slowed down the process, you know? He, yeah, absolutely. We have cleaner air today. Yeah. He ended the draft, which I think is a good thing for everybody. Well, he ended yeah. the Vietnam War, right? Yeah. Oh, that's so. it. Yeah. <laughs> like when, I mean, when you leave a war, you leave a draft. Well, like, I mean, he turned the military into a volunteer force as opposed to, you know. A conscription force. Yeah. Which that's true. That's valid. Pretty good move. And he was actually a big contributor to improving relations between the U.S. and the Soviet Union and helped ease a lot of tensions and prevented any potential mishaps yeah especially that could have happened. china like he, yeah he was a big part of splitting relations between the soviet union and china which weakened them as a communist bloc and although i guess later down the line wasn't as good apparently he established like a relationship with the middle east which curbed soviet influence in the region and mm. he just he just did a lot just did, it just seems like he did a lot of good yeah, I will say that I think Nixon's foreign policy was very effective, and that is often overshadowed by his campaign meddling and exiting. Yeah. But you make a good point. And I, I would go even farther to say that I think a lot of presidents get credit or get flack for things that happen in the country that are beyond their control. Mm -hmm. And... When you look at the realm of foreign policy, that is something that is squarely under the president's control. Like they set foreign policy for the most part outside of declarations for, and they handle that whole thing on their own. When you're talking about tax law, when you're talking about things like that, when you're talking about the economy, that's a much more complicated system that they don't control. And right. there's a big lag on it and everything else. So when you talk about like Herbert Hoover and great depression you can't really blame him for that mm. that that exists that had happened and it happened while he was president but it's not right. like he caused the great depression 
that was a structural thing that had been coming for 10 20 years before that right yeah and so i think the things he was able to control and affect positively he did okay yeah yeah, I don't disagree. I think he degraded norms somewhat, but I think we snapped back from that. Like, it could have been more dangerous uh, mm -hmm. because, he, like, the fact that he was doing shady things within our electoral system, if he wasn't cracked down on heavily in the way that he was, could have spiraled into degrading of uh, our de democratic oh, norms and, and yeah, systems. Definitely. But, I mean, we can add that into one of his accomplishments. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Creating, generating caught. an immune response. Yeah, yeah. He's like a vaccine. Okay. He yeah, that's that's a terrible. My next one mm -hmm. is someone kind of more on your page. I think is undervalued. Perhaps he's not one of the best three, but he's definitely undervalued. And that mm -hmm. is Eisenhower. All right. We have a weird tradition of putting generals into the presidency. I mean, I guess it's not a weird tradition, but it's an impressive thing that when generals take over the presidency uh -huh. they don't just take power because that would be what one would expect to happen that's what happens in most of the world very rarely is a military leader taking control of the civilian government without just taking control forever uh -huh. and eisenhower in particular i just i have a lot of respect for him because i think he was inherently pragmatic in a way that most presidents were not and especially okay since he was essentially following directly after FDR. I know there was Truman in between, but like Truman wasn't there for that long. You know what I mean? Right. And Truman also didn't have a huge impact. It, so you were essentially coming after decade and a half of FDR. And I think that Eisenhower's ability to reshape the new order of the world to bring the country Mm -hmm. out of that war period and into the future invest heavily in infrastructure invest heavily in modernizing improving the country like, i think he was just eminently pragmatic and effective in all of the stuff that he tried to do i think he's often neglected his sort of moderate stable pragmatism mm -hmm. is the kind of thing that i think you re that's what you really want from a leader you don't right. want somebody who's making dramatic sweeping changes you want somebody who's going to move you forward in an effective way. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe it wasn't flashy, but effective. I can see how that might get swept under the rug or looked past. Yeah, well, especially coming after FDR, right. who everyone worships. Very beloved president. It's kind of hard to follow up people like that, though, even if you are really great. You can't be people that are beloved and considered great. Eisenhower at least had the ability to be like i won world war ii also it wasn't just fdr because he you know actually won the war so i mean that helps at the tail end of it but yeah whatever but who's your next one i'm sticking with my theme of underappreciated and this one i think also gets a bad rap and okay. was considered largely ineffective but i disagree jimmy carter i think was also a really good president <laughs> And I, <laughs> I could not I disagree more. Yeah. Well, you could do that. So he was stuck at just a bad time to be president, I think. Like the economy wasn't great, but he still managed to increase 
the number of jobs by a pretty large margin. I don't remember exactly. It was like six or seven million or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I know he brought down the deficit. He increased the deficit. That's not what I read. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. I don't actually know if he did, but I thought that he did. Now, he, from what I read, by the end of his administration, he, he decreased the deficit. And apparently, a lot of the stuff he did kind of led to the prosperity of the early 80s. He also was pretty effective within domestic policies. He improved the national park system or he expanded it or something. He widened it by a large margin. He was responsible for the Department of Education, which, you know, can't be a bad thing. Well, it can, (laughs) but you could say it's not a bad thing if you want. Right. That's fine. I'm sure it's it's been helpful. I mean, education is supposed to be controlled by the states. So I mean, that's the impression where the national right. government wading into something that they're not allowed to wade into and spending a lot of money on it. Besides, it's perhaps not the ideal situation. Maybe it was done with optimism, hoping that a more unified curriculum would be effective, so everyone was on the same page or on equal footing. I mean, I can understand the thinking of why you would yeah. want to do it. And apparently he was also a big part in hiring a lot of women and minorities to government jobs. He was very progressive, certainly. There's something that, I forgot his name, Ronald Reagan, there we go, that guy, Mm -hmm. is credited for doing. It was something about getting some kind of hostages back from somewhere. I don't don't remember the From Iran, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, they call him like the great talker or the great negotiator or whatever. Because, like, his first day in office, they released the hostages from Iran. Mm. But Jimmy Carter did that. He was responsible for that. But Iran, or the terrorists, or whoever did right? It's the Iranian government. I really don't remember the details about it. There was a revolution. I apologize for that. They yes. took hostages in the American embassy. Look, this is why I have John. Because he has all the accurate knowledge. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, so when that happened, he negotiated their release and just... To be petty, they waited until after Reagan was sworn in as president to release them. Yeah, I don't and know. And so he I gets would... credit for this thing, and it's such a big deal. Well, it's not really a big deal. But when they talk about Reagan, they, they always bring that up. Yeah. So I just think it's interesting that he didn't really do anything. But that's the kind of thing that magnifies something that's irrelevant. Like getting a few hostages or 100 hostages or 180 hostages out of holding is the kind of irrelevant trivia that people focus on. I'm sure their lives mattered. Right. Like, I'm not saying their lives didn't matter. I'm not saying that we shouldn't defend our diplomats and what have you. Mm-hmm. But it's not a huge just, country-altering thing. You know what I mean? Like There was a giant debacle about it just a few years ago with the whole Benghazi thing. So it does matter to people. They care about how those things are handled. Well, yeah, they do. They care about it, but they shouldn't care about it. That's my point. It's... Yeah, stupid lives. You can value human lives and maybe pay more attention to falling apart infrastructure where people die constantly rather than focus on these big publicized deaths in an embassy. Focus on thousands and thousands of people dying every year for no reason because bridges are poorly constructed and roads are falling apart. Yeah, I mean, that's also probably very important. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, John. I'm not like, okay. oh, that doesn't matter. But 
he got things done. He maybe wasn't the most effective, but I think he gets a lot of crap for being ineffective, and I don't think he was totally ineffective. I think he was pretty ineffective. I think he put in a lot of structures and things in terms of social policy that then were rolled back in the 80s and 90s because they were not well constructed. Even if you say, oh, we should have a huge welfare state, as he would say, you want to construct it in an effective way, and I don't think he did that particularly well. And that's one of the reasons why he was tossed out of office when he was. But yeah, I mean, sure. They're your top three, so that's fine. Okay, do you want to take a guess at my last one? Is it Thomas Jefferson? That's a good guess. That's a good guess. I, so I, I was close? debating. You, oh, yes. I, I mean, you're not wrong. I was debating between two, okay? Okay. I was debating between Jefferson and Grant. You know what? I would like to hear about Grant. <laughs> okay, okay. Grant it is. Okay. Your vote causes him to pass up Jefferson. Because I'm assuming you're going to talk about Jefferson anyway. No, I was. Oh. But that's, that's too easy. All right. It is a little too easy. Buying a third of a continent is not a bad yeah, call. That, yeah, that's yeah, part it's, of the it's effective strategy for when history's looking back on you. But no, Grant, I think, is, again, the kind of general who relinquished power, who took over after an incredibly charismatic and sweeping president. Mm-hmm. I think there are several times in history where presidents stepped far beyond what is sustainable and acceptable in normal circumstances. The two most obvious circumstances for that were Lincoln and FDR. These Mm -hmm. people took huge sweeping powers, expanded the powers of the presidency a lot, and did things that were at least borderline illegal in order to salvage a difficult situation. They had reasons for doing those things, but they did things that were potentially destructive if Mm -hmm. those were just now established as the things to be done forever. Mm -hmm. Like Lincoln broke down a lot of states' rights. He expanded what the president could do. He established the draft. He did a a lot of things that were, especially at the time, questionable. Mm -hmm. Printing fiat currency, things like that. Grant returned us to kind of the norm. He reestablished those norms that were important. Having a stable currency, not having a draft, respecting states' rights, things like that. Like He took a situation where Lincoln very easily could have become kind of a monarch if he wasn't assassinated. Right. He had expanded his power so much. He had expanded the military so much. Like That was the first time that the military really was this huge rolling machine. And now you had a few million men who were out in battlefields that could be turned toward ruling the country. You know what I mean? Like that, Uh that's a lot of power to then relinquish and for a general to take over in that sort of instance and relinquish that power after he left office Uh and reestablish the kind of more moderate norms and more restricted presidential power norms that existed before while Mm -hmm. also moving forward civil rights in a much more powerful way than Lincoln intended to. I think that's undervalued by history. And I think he's, he was a really good president. Okay. I mean, he was not that good of a president, but I want to disagree with you. What was not good about him? Like what did he do poorly? His whole administration was littered with corruption 
Sure. Like, that's not good. That's not a good thing. Appointing friends into positions of power who then abuse the power, that's not being a good leader. Okay. <laughs> I don't you know? disagree with you that he made some poor choices in terms of who he appointed into office. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I completely agree with that sentiment. And I think, you know, he was not an effective politician. He was not somebody who knew how to run the administration effectively. I get that. Mm -hmm. But I think, again, going back to my theme of norms and my theme of the bigger picture, I think it's valuable that he returned us to a state of normalcy. And he supported protections for African-Americans and he supported a lot of things that Lincoln didn't necessarily support and just pursued as a pragmatic solution. He actually carried those things through to fruition, despite the marring of his corruption. In the same way that you look at Nixon and you say, yes, he did some real crappy things and he got booted out of office for it. And Grant didn't even do anything intentionally terrible. He just made some poor hiring choices. No, you're right there. He did a huge number of very valuable things that a worse person would not have done. I don't agree with that. I don't think Grant was like a bad person and you make a lot of good points. Appreciate that. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, I mean, I think we're both looking for people who are undervalued. And I think he's definitely one of the people who is Oh, undervalued. yeah, probably one of the most... Yeah, he's one of the most ridiculed presidents. He, yeah. he, him so he, and Nixon are down at the bottom of the barrel, and yet I think that Grant served valuable service. Okay, you're third person. Um, let me take a guess. Let's say i got to think about the worst people. So maybe Andrew Jackson? You know, is he one of, I guess he did do some pretty terrible stuff. He was, yeah, you know, murdering people left and right. Yeah, that's true. He was very aggressive. No. <laughs> James Madison, actually, who is oh, probably not okay. very undervalued. No, he's solid. I think he yeah. gets a lot of respect. Yeah, I mean, he led the country during uh, the War of 1812 uh-huh. and was successful in not having us fall apart. All right. <laughs> okay. Because I, mean, I, I know there's instances of you know battles taking place in the U.S. and the White House getting burned down and you know successfully getting through the war and then really reestablishing ourselves as an independent country was probably pretty strong. I mean, I think it got us into a war we didn't have to get into. And I mean, you're probably not wrong. Essentially lost it. I mean, I know we didn't lose the war of 1812, right. but we didn't exactly win it either. At least it reminded people that we don't play games. Uh-huh. It seems like despite all the bad stuff, it did kind of reaffirm us as definitely our own country. Okay. I mean, I think Madison is a solid president simply for all of the stuff he did around the Constitution and the establishment of the governmental system we have and all of that. We can talk about that. Sure. That's obvious. Those are like like a given. Bill of Rights. Help draft the Constitution. We get it. He's good at writing. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But also, and this is not really anything he did. It's just mm-hmm. the Federalist Party falling to pieces. But into his second term, with the Federalist Party falling to pieces, he brought this, like, uh, what did they call it? Like, the era of goodwill or... Era of good feelings. There we go. It brought the country together. 
it probably led to a lot of the success that Monroe had as president. Hmm. And I think Madison being there and building the blocks to his successor's success should be credited. And okay. Thanks, yeah. The continual rule of Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, Like I think they carved the road that led the United States from being this tiny little provincial nothing country mm-hmm. when it was first founded to being a world power. World and I think power. That, I think the, over the course of their, what was it, 24 years of rule, you just see like from the Monroe Doctrine, right? Right. They went from this little part of the East Coast to ruling essentially the entirety of the modern United States other than what was still controlled by Mexico mm-hmm. and saying to Europeans stay out of the Western hemisphere or else, right? Like that's the kind of thing that would not have been possible in right. the early days. And so, yeah, he's the middle link in that chain that is yeah. important for the crafting of the country. I, I completely agree with you. They don't call it the Virginia dynasty for nothing. <laughs> yeah, true. Okay. You want to go into our worst things for the day? Yeah. Okay. Go. So, we just went through our favorite presidents, or the best presidents, or perhaps the most underrated presidents, but now I wanted to go with the opposite of that. What is our worst three things in another category? And for that, I wanted to look at periods of history, okay? All right. So, what's the worst period of history? Like, what period would you not want to be in, Mike? I don't know what period it would be considered, like early colonialism, Puritan era, that time frame. 1600s yeah when everyone was a witch or possessed by the devil and super (laughs) religious and serious and Uh no music or smiling or happiness and suffering was the norm because the only way to get close to god was if you suffered and couldn't be happy like happiness was against god and if you were against god you were the devil yeah that's no good yeah so easily boom one of the worst periods of history for me and i could never live then yeah i think anytime when you're in an early colonial civilization where you don't have any of the stuff that your society used to have in the motherland or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you have to deal with the wilderness and the cold and the just dying. Yeah, that, that's no good. That's no good. Yeah, lay on the puritanism and the self-loathing and the incredible work ethic yeah. and not lack of ability to enjoy anything. Yeah, it's, it's not a good combination. But like a little levity wouldn't have killed them if they were dying anyways. <laughs> oh man okay all right shoot so i think anytime in the middle east before the persian empire so during the assyrian empire in particular like Mm. they have these all of these statues and murals and things of basically their captive kings chopping off their heads and butchering people and they would go through all of the other cities throughout the middle east and terrorize and torture people right and they built these huge massive great cities but they were so hated that when their power cracked Mm -hmm. they were completely wiped out and they had these huge ruins that were found hundreds of years later by the greeks when alexander was establishing his empire there were just these enormous ruins that the persians abandoned because the persians when they took over they wanted to be much more liked and they were much a much more appreciated ruler i suppose even though they were also incredibly dominant and obviously very violent and everything mm-hmm. like that compared to the incredible torture and terrible living situation of the Assyrians. Like the thing to avoid 
before the Assyrian Empire was, you don't want to be a powerful city. Because if you're the ruler of a powerful city, then you're probably going to get people to come in, conquer you, kill you, torture you. Like, that's not what you want. Right. And so any, any, that whole period going up before the Persian Empire, that, that's a no-go. That's a no-go that, for me. Yeah, I have to imagine that'd be stressful. Just being like a king of your little city-state, just waiting for the moment. And you knew it was coming. Exactly, yeah. It probably came so hard and fast. Like, that's the worst. Yeah. You go from the top to the bottom immediately. Real and besides, fast. There's no indoor plumbing, you know. Oh, yeah, that's terrible. It just sounds unpleasant, like super unpleasant. Okay, what's your number two? Being an indigenous person during European colonization of the Americas. So it's just that period. That's my number two as well. The uh, Americas yeah. in the 1500s. Yeah, because it was just, you're living life, being you, bam. All of a sudden, your empires are toppling. And if you don't have an empire, everyone around you is dying of some weird foreign disease. Everyone's just dying left and right. And you can't stop it. No one's stopping it. And if you survive the massive disease devastation, you're then essentially put into slave labor to find silver or gold or sugar cane. There's no winning in this situation. And where Brazil is now, they slaved them to death. They were just like, work till you die. Work till you die. It's just not the place to be. Not in that time, unless you're a European. Even if you're a European, I put the Americas in the 1500s, including the Europeans, because essentially the only Europeans there were Spaniards, right? I mean, yeah, the Portuguese a little little bit later, but they were essentially just a military with no women, right? So think about this. You left your country forever to Uh go to a place where there are no women, at least no women of your culture, no women that you would necessarily want to interact with because it's not like they were interacting a ton with the natives or like wanting i mean they did end up yeah. sleeping and crossbreeding with the natives a lot but like yeah we'll call they, it sleeping that's what they were doing to them they were sleeping in them <laughs> yeah no we get it. within the spaniards there was a lot of cross marriage anyway the people living in the americas the spaniards they were ravaged by syphilis a lot of them mm-hmm. died they didn't have any of the good things from their civilization they led pretty horrible lives without the ability to have families, without the ability to have their society, really. Right. And so for the vast majority of them, it was pretty terrible as well. Not a lot of good coming out of that situation. Okay. All right. So we are agreed on number two. Yes. All right. My final one. This is kind of cheating, but like hunter-gatherer times. I think we might be in agreement on this one as well. Okay, because that just seems like a really stressful time to be alive. Like, yeah, where do they sleep? Just on the ground in the middle of nowhere, probably getting pulled away by predators while they sleep and having to fight your prey. Like, I read articles about archaeologists or paleontologists or whoever deal with human bones finding old humans with broken ribs and wrists and arms from what they suspect is some kind of giant mammal thing that existed then. It's like, Mm. that just seems so stressful. Nearly dying just so you can eat. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I also put down just all of prehistory for essentially the same reason. And it's the kind of thing where it's hard from our vantage point to look back there and understand how they would feel about it. Because I think if you looked at lions today or hawks or any sort of animal like that right Mm -hmm. it's hard to say whether or not they appreciate 
living like that because that's essentially how humans would have lived right the humans would have been huge packs of hunting beasts right like we were wandering around hunting things and that's exactly what all predators do and so it doesn't necessarily seem that horrible but when you compare it to our lives it's like oh man that sounds just not pleasant and it's this weird thing because i think a lot of people have kind of glamorized ancient men and Mm. talked about you know how civilization is not necessarily a great thing or destroying the environment all of that sort of stuff and so some people kind of say oh that's a simpler and more peaceful life you're just living off the land and all of that and that seems a little silly to me but on the other side to say oh it was all suffering and terrible that also seems a little silly to me because i think people probably did lead pleasant lives you know what i mean i'm sure they weren't always stressed out and felt in danger if you sleep on the ground or you sleep in trees like that's a thing that you just do and then you just continue to do it like it's not terrible and i'm sure it wasn't that bad i mean compared to now it's terrible it's awful (laughs) yeah I don't know when they started cooking meat. Long before agriculture. Yeah. Getting a toothache or a cavity or just a rotted tooth, not knowing what to do. Like, I'm sure Mm. maybe they pulled out teeth sometimes, but I'm sure some of them just suffered with gum infections. It's funny. I was talking to actually a dentist about something very similar to this a couple Mm -hmm. years ago, and he was telling me that cavities and things like that didn't really exist as they do now in prehistoric times really? because most cavities are essentially caused by sugar ah. right? sugar allows for the bacterial growth that causes cavities and beyond just that plaque and gum decay derives from a lot of modern foods as well that are hyper palatable that are too soft that don't clean your teeth as you eat And so they wouldn't necessarily have dealt with that. Add to that the fact that people of that era were dying at like the age of 25 or 30. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) you're not getting to 50 where your teeth are falling out or rotting away. But I mean, most people could probably not brush at all until they're 20 and be fine. There is definitely people who were living to 60. No, there weren't. You don't think there were any people at all that lived to 60, but they were all just dying at 25 and 30. Yes. I think 40 would have been probably the latest limit in prehistory. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's true. Okay. There was people that were bound to to live at least pretty long. Why not? If they're in large groups and they hunt Mm -hmm. together and they eat together. There are some people who are just bound to survive, not get ill, not get hurt. Maybe they were taken care of if they did get hurt. When they got old, maybe they were carried around. I don't think anybody was carrying anybody around. This is before the domestication of animals. This is before agriculture. This is a time where everyone moved constantly because there wasn't enough water, right? So they had to migrate for water and they had to migrate for food. And so anybody that couldn't keep up is going to die. I don't think, I don't think that's they're going to be carried around 60-year-olds. Like a universal truth, though. What part of it's not? Because they're communities, they're families. I'm sure they develop some kind of relationship, some kind of empathy and sympathy. And I get that taking care of the group is more important than taking care of the individual. But I can't imagine that occasionally there was an individual who maybe wasn't as fast 
or strong or just a little bit on the older side, but wasn't useless. So they helped them, kept them alive. Sure. Perhaps one person in a few million would get to that age. I think it's extremely unlikely. Like if you look at any wild population of creatures, you find that they focus on protecting the young and protecting themselves and they largely ignore the old. And if the old get picked off, the old get picked off. Like I think our reverence for and protection of the elderly is a much more civilization-based thing that would not have existed in prehistory. But possible. I don't know. We don't neither of us particularly know. Yeah, we don't. But yes, those are the three worst times. Yeah. We seem to be very much in agreement with them. Yeah. So that's just a happy coincidence cuz Yeah. We definitely do this independently and we don't <laughs> Yes. We don't go, "Hey, what did you think was the worst time?" I think if we were planning it, we probably would not stumble upon two of the yeah. same periods of time yeah. that would defeat the purpose. Yeah. Anyway. But it did save us a little bit of time. John, uh-huh. I know that you always have a lot on your mind. I do. And I know you mentioned something to me about, and if other people don't already know, John is very interested in marketing to an extent. Well, I hate marketing, but... You seem <laughs> pretty interested in it. Well, I think it's important. Well, then, he thinks it's important. Fine. Yes. He doesn't find it interesting, but he thinks it's important. And I know he's been thinking about branding in particular, and what else? Well, really just branding, broadly, and the context in which branding is valuable. Because I think branding and marketing and sales even more so all get labeled with this brush of not productive, not valuable, like a drain on society and civilization. Like I think a lot of people look at them and I have been guilty of this as well in the Uh past of looking at them and saying, well, if I buy a cell phone, Uh all of the advertising that goes into selling me that cell phone, all of this branding that goes into creating the box and everything else, that's all just money wasted that doesn't make the actual cell phone any better. Right. So please don't do that. Like one time I bought a OnePlus One, which is this Chinese phone, Mm -hmm. and their whole spiel was we don't pay attention to branding very much. We don't do any sort of advertising. We only sell direct to you, so there's no marketing or anything with retailers. There's no markup because they have to deal with distribution channels. They just sell directly to you online, and that's the only way that you can get it. And their whole thing was, well, you can offer lower prices because we eliminated all of that. So I I get that whole thing. Like, that's the same thing with the essential phone, right? There's no brand. Mm -hmm. That's the concept. But I think a lot of that misses the point. And, And I think this is a broad thing in society that people condemn things on their face that they don't see as valuable and they don't think about why they exist and what value society gets from them. And I find that, not to target this too much, but I find that this happens a lot on the left of politics, that people condemn things like capitalism or like free trade as just terrible Mm -hmm. in a simplistic way. And I think marketing and branding especially get this bad rap. And even more than all of that, 
one of my friends talked to me recently and we, mm-hmm. I think, discussed branding on an earlier show a little bit, but Probably. one of my friends talked to me about this whole thing, about this, this phenomenon in San Francisco, I think, where there's this grocery store that offers all of their products are unbranded. So okay. you might go in and you might buy it and this thing will say chicken soup or chicken noodle soup. And it won't give you Campbell's or it won't give you any branding. It'll just say chicken noodle soup. Or you'll go in and you'll buy cereal and it will just say, I don't know what it says. Like but frosted say, loops? Sure, whatever. Like, But, but the, it'll tell you what it is, right? So the right. product names are descriptive rather than branded. Is it cheaper? I haven't actually been there. I've just been told about this, so I haven't been able to compare prices. I don't know. Uh, but okay. I think the idea is that you won't pay the premium that you would have to pay to get the brands. Okay. I, I wonder about this, too. I know that you obviously don't know. But do they have different tiers of things, despite the no brand? And this is my whole point, right? Because I think whether or not they have different tiers, I don't know if they do. I think it would make sense if they did. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're looking at is brands communicate things and this really punches you in the face when you go to a foreign country and Uh you don't recognize any brands and you don't know what anything is and it makes you very aware of it when that happens oh dude like when i went to go visit you in korea Mm. it became abundantly clear maybe within the first day and a half i was there Mm -hmm. that lotte was a very big thing oh yeah true it was just like boom in your face yeah, they, they have grocery stores, they have fast food joints, they have candy and all sorts of Chocolate stuff. and cookies just, and everything. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they're just like everywhere, in your face, all the time. I wouldn't be surprised if they have some kind of phone brand or a car. Like, these guys were everywhere. They do a huge everywhere. Amount, yeah. But, okay, so that's that's less the branding that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is if you go in to a store and you see toothpaste, Korean toothpaste are terrible. I hate Korean toothpaste. Ask anybody that's lived there. I don't know why, but it just tastes terrible and rancid and just not Mm. good at all. I do remember that vaguely. I really disliked it. And the texture is weird. But if you think about your favorite toothpaste wherever you live, there's a variety. Are very different flavors and textures and compositions of different toothpaste. And if you went into a store and it just said toothpaste, that would not tell you nearly enough. When you see something that says, I don't know, Colgate or something, you know what that means. You understand what that is. And it communicates a lot of information instantly. And that's where brands are extremely valuable, I think. Because If you take a step back and look at it from a larger perspective, from a societal linguistic perspective, Mm -hmm. if you use generic terms for things, you automatically lose detail. So if I'm telling someone and I say, this guy told me this thing versus I'm talking to someone and I say, Michael told me this thing, those are two different things. And immediately if I say Michael... Everything about you and everything about your life and who you are and how you think can pop into their head. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge amount of information that you're now communicating immediately. If I just said this guy 
it doesn't communicate nearly as much. And if I just say this person communicates even less. And I think that's what is lost when people are thinking about this, that brands essentially allow you to communicate a lot of information about the quality of the product, about what's in the product, about the preparation, about everything about the product. And there is enough variety in terms of the way things work and the way things that you buy are that it's useful to have that additional contextualization for the things you're buying. It just makes life dramatically easier than it would be otherwise. That makes sense. I can see where you're coming from. I am a sucker for Levi's. Those are the only brand of jeans I will buy. Hmm. Yeah, I I don't know why. Yeah, that seems odd. I trust the quality or something. And so whenever I'm out jean shopping, that's just my go-to. I'm just like, I need to buy a pair of Levi's. I I almost never even call them jeans. I call them Levi's probably 90% of the time. Well, and that's why you buy them, because you trust that they have quality and you're not willing to take a risk on buying something that you think might not have as good of quality and you're not willing to pay enough to get something that might be better and take the risk that it might not be better. Like that's, sure. that is the safety that you get with a consistent brand. Yeah. I'm down with that. Yeah. That is, no, it's, it's, it's valuable where I think you start to tread into what creates a lot of the animus though around branding is when you start to transition from scriptive branding into kind of lifestyle branding or Ah. associational branding. So instead of saying this peanut butter is extra creamy, you start saying cool people eat this peanut butter. Yes. Right. That is a change that obviously makes sense from the company's perspective because they're just trying to sell things. They don't care about it. But from the actual branding perspective, something being cool should not objectively matter. I know I did this to you uh, last week, John, hmm. and to everybody else, but this reminds me of an individual I learned about in my sociology class a very long time ago. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I don't remember their name, but they were basically responsible for that style of advertisement. Hmm. They changed everything from buy vegetables and meat because you need to eat vegetables and meat to yeah buy these shades because you know if you wear these shades people will like you more yeah you know yeah buy this toothpaste because only the smartest use this toothpaste and it's just very interesting there was a transition in the 60s i think yeah where people started moving toward lifestyle brands and right. building brands around your identity as yeah. opposed to building brands around what the product was. And it's interesting how effective it is. True. That people look at something and they go, well, if I have that, people will like me more. They'll respect mm. me more. They'll think I'm wealthy. Or- well, and beyond even that, like I don't think that people necessarily think of it like that. I think people think of it as, I'm a cool person. Cool people wear these sunglasses. Therefore, I wear these sunglasses. Or even beyond, even a simpler version than that is just these are me. Like, these are what I do. These are part of who I am, part of right. how I am. People might think I am a BMW driver. That's part of my identity. And that is 
something that once you build that into yourself, it's really unlikely to shift and change after the fact. Yeah. Um, and you see this hugely with Apple, right? Like a lot of people oh. are just Apple acolytes. And I that's part of who they are. I hate Apple for that <laughs> reason. Okay. It just, uh Whenever I think of Apple, and I'm sure they're great phones, they aren't terrible, but they're just, they're not Good laptops. worth what they're worth just because they have a stupid Apple on them. And I'm sure the laptop's great too. And I'm sure they're like great. I, maybe they are totally worth the money that they charge for, but I just think the fact that they release like the Apple X, all of a sudden that thing's worth a thousand dollars and you're year and a half old apple eight or whatever is or iphone eight seven yeah, I don't even, seven seven eight came out at the same time as the x yeah see and it's like i don't know i, don't, right. I just and get planned, frustrated about it it just bugs me a lot planned obsolescence and that sort of thing is a different and equally problematic thing that Trash. apple is accused of employing but people identifying with things they own so much, I think is a common condemnation of American society in particular. But since we're talking about advertising now, mm-hmm. I think it's important to point out the positive side of advertising in the same way as branding, that when you come up with something new, when you have a new product, and I've right. run into this a lot because I obviously consume things but Don't a lot count. of the things and software and online services that I consume are relatively small niche products. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that I would hear about them through word of mouth or through popular culture. You know what I mean? Like that's, right. that's just unlikely. So the way that I hear about them is through advertising. So when you think about the ability for somebody who makes something and makes mm-hmm. something good and valuable to be able to get the word out that this thing exists and to be able to tell people this is what it does this is why you should buy it that's an extremely valuable thing it definitely can be if you didn't have any advertising like i have some friends who are big proponents of this whole like we shouldn't have any advertising that's terrible and counterproductive like if you didn't have any advertising you would essentially make it so that the most dominant products that exist now are probably going to be the most dominant products forever. You eliminate the chance for new things to come up and advertise their way into the world and say, look, our stuff is so much better, buy our stuff. Right. And then shift sentiment. Now, where you run into problems in the same way with branding is with advertising that is of essentially no value, where you're trying to position it or associate a, a certain product with a person's identity when you th- have things like Coca-Cola, right? Mm-hmm. Coke is one of my most annoying brands. Like I hate, I hate Coke partially because it's just a terrible product. I think it's delicious, but it is soda and soda is never good for you. So I will, I will agree with you. It is a terrible product. It's terrible in almost every way. It hurts the consumers of the product. It costs more. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't really cost that much more than it should, but it's just not a valuable thing right? in my estimation. And it's a huge, incredibly profitable thing, which annoys me somewhat in of itself. But beyond even that, you have the fact that Coke advertises constantly more than almost anybody else. 
so effectively. And yeah, sure. Like they're an effective advertising company, but their product hasn't changed in 80 years. I don't even know how long. It's been a long time since Coca-Cola changed. So what purpose does the advertising serve? The advertising essentially just keeps them on the tip of people's tongues. It keeps them in people's minds. It positions them with young people. It positions them as a cool thing. That's the whole idea. It's, oh, that's not my parents' drink. That's not like ginger ale that old people drink. Right. This is this thing that young people are always drinking because we always see young people on advertisements with it. And so I understand why they do it, but it doesn't serve any societal function. It doesn't inform people about new products. It doesn't inform people about changes in products or features or how something can be used. It serves no purpose other than annoying me. Can I just say that I love their very successful campaign of associating Coca-Cola with Christmas? Hmm. It's so impressive that they're just like, yeah, soda. Soda and Christmas. They go together. Well, they just have so much bravado. Like, yeah, we could do this. <laughs> Think about the incredible self-assuredness you have to have to be like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take this holiday, the most important holiday of the year for most people, and we're going to make it us. Yeah. We're going to bite off that. That That's that's, that's so impressive. It's I so agree strong. With that. Yeah. True. Say what you want about them, but... But see, that's just a symptom of the same problematic phenomenon that I don't I like. know. Well, no, you're right. I agree with you. It's trash. But I mean, come on, man. It's cool. They're just like, yeah, we don't care. Christmas, Coca-Cola, that's who we are now. We are Christmas. Buy us. I mean, it's an impressive feat. I find it annoying, but it's impressive. I admit. It's helpful that their colors kind of are Christmassy. So perfect. So perfect. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a difficult thing to tease out, though, because it's hard to think about how to solve that sort of thing. Because when you look at something and you say, well, it is absolutely essential, you have to allow for branding, you have to allow for advertising. But then you see this whole portion of those industries, or I guess branding is not really an industry, but certainly the advertising industry. Mm -hmm. You see an entire section of it that's just, in my estimation, a drain on society and society's resources like a lot of products could be much cheaper without advertising but instead of battling over cost people are battling over their position in the market and in people's minds and i think that that's counterproductive in a lot of ways but it's hard to figure out well how would you shift incentives so that people didn't do that is a good question and i don't think there is a way to do that because the people who advertise that way Mm -hmm. or advertise worthless things they advertise them that way or they advertise the worthless thing because that's how they're going to make money (laughs) that's that's all they want right but you can change incentives so that they no longer make money that way you just have to figure out how to do that well i mean if someone wants to sell a product and the only way to get the product out there is through advertisements and maybe well, the their idea, product isn't useful. How do you incentivize them not to do the? Well, there would be a regulatory option. I'm, I wouldn't. Necess- I wouldn't endorse this. But like, you could say, the only products that could be advertised are products that have either come out or substantially changed in the last twelve months. Hmm. 
Maybe we should create some kind of government body. To, I don't think we should enforce do this. Yes. John is endorsing government regulation. No. Well, okay. <laughs> I think <Private. laughs> I, I am not endorsing this, but I, I, I think that, that it, it's a useful thing to think about. I think heavy handed regulation is often not a good way to go about things, but it would be useful to think about what is the most simplistic and direct way that you could try to solve the problem. Ignore all of the second order effects, ignore all of the externalities and other ramifications. Just what is the simplest way to go to where you're going? And then once you find that, then you can start to figure out, well, how do we refine this to make it an actually effective thing that you could implement? And I think that well, what I just suggested is, is a way that you could eliminate a lot of this sort of advertising. Mm -hmm. Because like when you were talking about the iPhone X or the iPhone 10, right? That is a sort of thing that you have to allow advertising for because it's a new product. Like you have to let people know about this new product. Right, but if the only modifications to the product is that you can't plug headphones into it anymore, is it better? You know that that's not the only modification to the product. I mean, I'm right? sure it's not. It has a completely different technology for the screen. It has completely different... Like, I the chip is a new chip. Like, about it. I'm not disagreeing with you. You're probably right. Again, like I said, I don't know. I don't know anything about Apple. Okay. They irritate me. I don't care but, about that. And I'm sure that, and like I said, I'm sure that the things they release are of high quality and probably but, very useful. But that's okay. That's all beside the point. It's it's a substantially different product. Like it's not Coca Cola. You know what I mean? It's not the same product. Like if you look at Nike shoes, if Nike came out with a new pair of shoes, it's not the same product. It doesn't matter if it's only a slightly different material or something else like that. Like it like, is a new product. What if it's just a different design? Like what if Coca Cola just changed? the design of their bottle the product is the product the design of the bottle is i mean you're right you could argue that the packaging is part of the product well, and I so mean, this is where you start to run but into coca -Cola the coca-cola does have like coca-cola with lime coca-cola zero coca -Cola right those this. are different products and i think when they first come out you should be able to advertise them and so if if, if you if you actually implemented that anything older than 12 months can't be advertised ban you would start to incentivize these weird, perverse actions like, okay, now we're just going to make 100,000 different versions of the product that come out every three months so that we can continually advertise, right? Like, oh. I get that that would create other negative things. I don't have any good solutions for this, but I think that people are too hard on advertising and too hard on branding and don't appreciate them. And I think for most things in the world, if it exists and if it's a thing that people do consistently over a long period of time, there is value to it. And if you don't think that it's a valuable action or a valuable part of society, you should really delve into it a little bit deeper and try to figure out well, why do so many people seem to derive so much value out of these things if they're truly not valuable at all. Mm. It's maybe because they don't know what to do with themselves, so they like to products or anything to give them some kind of identity or meaning. I, I'm not saying that you should come up with an answer right there, Mike. I'm saying that if you, if somebody thinks that there's no value in something, they should think whatever it is, they should think about what the value is. Like I know a lot of angry atheists who 
give me constant diatribes about religion and about how can so many people waste so much of their time and energy on these things that they don't think exist, right? They are clearly missing the point because there's a lot of value to be derived from religion. Whether or not religion is true... Oh, my bad. You know what? I totally thought you were still talking about the trash advertising. Well, I am, but like people should try to figure out what the value of it is because if companies are investing billions of dollars into advertising over decades and decades and decades, there's clearly value there. Yeah, People don't companies. just burn money for no reason. And so if you think something is an automatic, terrible thing in society, you should start to dig down and see what the value is. Like, like with religion or to go take the opposite of religion, like with prostitution. The mm-hmm. Prostitution, you could say, is not a good thing for society, but it's something that has clearly existed in every society in history forever. Uh, yeah. So I mean, there's probably definitely why? value there. Right. There's value. And if people are doing it all the time, everywhere, forever, there is value. And if you think it's a terrible thing for society, start by appreciating what the value is and then figure out how to eliminate the negative or downside of it. That's my preaching for the day. Oh, that's good. Generally, you have a lot more preaching to do. Yeah, I know, right? Normally, that's that's all I do. You want to wrap this one up? Yep. Okay. Let's get out of here. All right, guys, you can find our show notes at subjectradio.com slash WWOTS slash 012. And as always, please share the show with anybody that you think might enjoy it, anybody that's interested in any of these topics. It's the best way you can help us. It's the best way you can help the show grow and allow this whole thing to prosper. But if you don't have any friends and you still want to support us, we do have a Patreon. We do at patreon.com slash WWOTS. Just, you know, if you don't have anyone to share it with and you want to support us, yeah. we'll take your money. This project does take time and it does take energy and there are a few expenses. So if you want to support us and you want to donate toward the show, we obviously appreciate that and we'll be very grateful. Very grateful. All right. I'll talk to you next week, Mike. All right. Talk to you then. Peace. Later.
So I'll just push number systems to next time? Yes. Okay. Not that number systems are interesting. 